And for the first time in two years and 10 months, I'm honored to say we have a pastor, Brother T. Caden, and he's gonna come share God's word with us this morning. There we go. Okay, well, we've had a lot of laughs this morning and we're not finished yet because somebody in here sent me a letter with a t-shirt. Says, Dear Brother Tink, we are so very excited to have you and your family join our family at Bellevue Baptist Church. We want to be sure you are comfortable when arriving and want to be sure you know the dress code for Bellevue Baptist. Enclosed, you will find it part of your new uniform, so wear it proudly. Please don't ask Brother Dale about this dress code, for he is in complete denial. <laughs> Feeling blessed for your arrival. Take care and welcome to the U of L family. Somebody sent me a, a, a Louisville shirt. <laughs> I see one Louisville shirt back there. I don't know if it's him or not. They didn't put their name on the thing. <laughs> He's saying no. I don't know who sent it. I didn't wear the shirt today, as you can tell. I'm not anti-Louisville, I'm just pro-UK, so. <laughs> All right, well, uh, the, for the next nine weeks, we're going to be discussing the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians cha uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But uh, today we're going to, I'm going to read, since we're in, we're not going to go into a deep dive of the book of Galatians. I'm going to each... There's nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So each week we'll, we'll discuss one of those. And this week is love. And as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if we're saved, we, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in our body and it, and it produces fruit. And again, the fruit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So... Just so we have an understanding, in, in the book of Galatians, Paul writes, uh, he, he writes a letter to the church there, and, the, and the, the church is filled with new converts to Christianity. They're Jewish, so they're, they're hanging on to, to the law of Moses, as we talked about this morning in, in uh, Bible study there. They had like a dual personality. They, were, they, they took Jesus as a Messiah, but they also... We're still hung up on the law, and Paul was writing to them to encourage them, like, "Hey, there's freedom in Christ. You don't need, you know, you know, you're no longer bound by the law." And as I was thinking about the term Jewish Christians, I, it made me think, "What about us as American Christians? Like, what are what are some things that you know we're not we're not bound by the law, but we get hung up? Our culture is so strong that when you think of American Christianity, in my mind, I think, golly, we're so hung up on." I know that there's freedom in Christ, but we as church, as a church, and it, we're not all guilty of this all the time, but we're hung up on money and just so many idols uh, are around us that just be aware to not get hung up on those things and know that, that Jesus is King and there's freedom in Christ. So let me pray for us. Father, as we, as we get into your word and, and do our best to understand this portion of your word, just allow us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we're not currently filled with the Holy Spirit, I just pray that something that we learn in the next nine weeks uh, may make sense to somebody and, and that somebody turns towards Jesus and accepts Him. 
accepts you for who you are. And for us that are saved, I just pray that that we're reminded that the Holy Spirit produces fruit and that this, this nine weeks is a fruitful time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5, and it's going to take a moment. But we're really just going to focus on the second half of the chapter. I just wanted to, as I, as I was preparing, I read the first half of the chapter, and I thought, well, it's, it's worth reading, so I'm going to read it. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through the end. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping this law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But if we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for He is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge the, that person, whom, whoever it is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what our sinful nature wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This fruit of the Spirit passage is one of the 
I don't think it was the first scripture that I ever memorized, but it was one of the first, just the nine, the nine fruit. And uh, it's been said to me many times, and it, and it does say fruit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit. It's all, it's, it's all uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's, it's all together. It's not like we should have some and not have others. We're, we're called to have all of them if the Holy Spirit's in us. So I just find it interesting that one of the first verses I, that the Holy Spirit convicted me to learn was about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I thought that was neat. So this week we're going to focus on love. How does Jesus model love for us? Well, in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, For God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. So Je Jesus' ultimate model of love was the sacrifice of His life for our sins. And how are we to model love for each other scripturally? 2 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says, I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This, this is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what is Love means doing what God has commanded us, and He has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. Mark chapter 12 says, in verses 29 and 31, Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, as important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13 says, this is, my new this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So when you read a verse like that, do you, do you think, oh, okay, am I supposed to physically lay down my life? Like, am I supposed to, am I supposed to actually die for my friends? And and maybe the answer to that is no, but it could be yes, depending on depending on what God calls you to do. But but laying down your life for, for a friend is just sacrifice. You know, love is supposed, biblical love is sacrificial. It's not like worldly love where we're we're trying to most of most of what we think or perceive about love is is getting something, and biblical love is giving. So if our love is to look different than worldly love, then it should and. And there are practical ways that we can live sacrificially for our friends. And I just wanted to list some that I need. I need help with these also. Listening to someone when it isn't convenient to us is a, is a sacrificial way to lay down your life for your friend. Helping someone when it isn't convenient to us. Encouraging someone when we don't think we have encouraging words. Giving to someone when it's a stretch to our own finances. Calling someone on the phone and checking on them when, they're, when they enter your mind. Praying for each other. Visiting one another in times of need. Speaking bold biblical truths into one another's lives. Sharing the gospel with people where we live. Sharing the gospel with people where we go. And going places intentionally to share the gospel. One of my favorite things that I've found in this church, and I can see it right now. I didn't notice. I don't know when it was hung up back there, but on that chalkboard, there's a quote. Who, who put that there? Does anybody know that? I, I should tell you the quote, and then maybe you'd, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. It says, uh, 
Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Did anybody remember putting that up? Oh, yeah. Well, C.T. Studd, is, he, he said that out of his mouth. And he was a Christian missionary. He was born in 1860 in England. And he was a cricket player. He's world-famous cricket player, I guess. You know, he's popular. He, had, he was born into a wealthy family. And... Um, he just had everything. And my excitement, I read, I read his biography that I think was written by his son-in-law maybe, but I came in here that, that first Sunday that I preached here and I saw that sign back there and I knew that quote already and I thought, man, I like this place. <laughs> but anyways, so C.T. Studd is a great example of laying down your life for your friend or your neighbor because he, he had everything. He had fame, fortune, wealth, which is fortune. He just, but he was radically transformed by the gospel. And, and when he was, he said, I don't want any of this stuff. I, if, if I'm to hold the gospel as the most important thing, I'm going to live, I'm going to live it out. So he submitted and committed his life to God and to his neighbor by sharing the gospel in India, China, and Africa. And somebody asked him, you know, why did you give up all these things? Or how, how were you able to give up all these things? And his response was, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? I know that cricket would not last and honor would not last and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile, but it, it, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. And another pretty aggressive CT stud quote is, some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. So, so what he's saying is he's not content just being a status quo Christian. He's ready. He's going into the fight. I like that quote. So his life was an extreme example of laying down your life for your friend. He eventually died in Africa at the age of 70 with his family was back home, I think in England. And uh, he wasn't, he wasn't martyred. He was, uh, I think he just died of like gallstones or something, but um, he really lived his life out well. And a modern example of this, and I was going to show a video, but it was a little, maybe a little too violent, so I'd, I'd stained from that. But um, there's a guy named David Eubank. Has anybody seen the documentary Free Burma Rangers? This guy he, and his family, he's got young kids. They're probably 18 and younger now. But he, he started this mission organization, and they, went to, they initially went to Burma, which is Myanmar, and there's civil war there going on since the beginning of time. And he, he thought, I think he was an army ranger, and he was born uh, into a missionary family. And after he got out of the military, he thought, you know, I can be doing something for this world. And he, uh, he went to Burma and shared the gospel there and tried to help free people. And he ended up in Iraq. And this one specific example, as I was thinking about, as I, I was writing this sermon and I was thinking about love, like what does, what is the most radical example of sacrificial love that I can think of that I've ever seen? And when I watched that documentary, he was in, uh, David and his whole family were in Mosul. And I, every time I'm up here, I'm talking about Mosul Iraq for some reason. Because remember, we talked about uh, Nineveh. It's modern day Nineveh. And um, so they're in Mosul and he's in the middle of this war zone. This, I think it was like 2012 maybe he was there. I'm, I can't remember. It was when ISIS was going nuts. And so he's in Mosul and there's death all around. I mean, in the video, there's, you can see 
death in the videos. That's why I didn't show it. We didn't need all that today. But um, there's this little girl sitting amongst this these people, these dead people, and he he looks up to his team and he says, "There's a little girl over there, and we're going to go save her." And there's bullets whizzing everywhere, and they had guns, and they were they're firing back at this area, and they run and save this little girl. And I thought, that's sacrificial love. That's what that is what God means when He says we should lay down our life for our friend. If we if we see something like that, we should we should be able to act and. Watch that. Free Burma Rangers is the name of the documentary, and it's really, really good. But um, I just wanted to give that example of what radical biblical love should look like. He didn't know that girl. He didn't know. He didn't know anything about that girl. But he knew that I cannot. I will not be able to go home tonight knowing that I didn't save this little girl. So. And when he when he was asked, you know, in the documentary, he was asked, "How did you have the courage to?" Uh, Save that girl. He pointed to the scripture I shared a minute ago. John chapter 15, 13 says, There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the video was actually, the, the video I was going to show was a CBS. It was like a news thing. And they kept calling him a humanitarian, this humanitarian man. I'm like, he's a Christian missionary. Can we not just share that little tidbit of info? Why do we have to hide what he's doing? He's, he's not hiding it. So why is the, why is the news doing that? So does this mean that, that all of our lives should look that radical as C.T. Studd and David Eubank? Not necessarily. My point is to share what biblical love looks like. Biblical love and worldly love are two different things. Worldly love is self-centered and manipul manipulative. Biblical love is sacrificial. Worldly love is often based on receiving something. Biblical love is about giving and serving. Worldly love stems from emotion, and biblical love stems from commitment and conviction to and from the Word of God. So when we're doing our best to love someone biblically, we should not be quickly angered. We should be peaceful. When we're loving biblically, we should not be easily frustrated. We should be patient. When we're loving biblically, we should not be resentful. We should be forgiving. And... As read at probably every wedding you've been to, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not ir irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. So, to close this out, in the book of Galatians, Paul is expressing to the Jewish Christians, look, we're not bound by this law. Jesus came to save the lost, and he's done that through his sacrificial death on the cross. And... If we believe that, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should see in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus modeled the fruit of the Spirit to His followers and everyone that He encountered. So if we follow Jesus, He gives us the Holy Spirit. And if we let the Holy Spirit guide us, we'll have this fruit in our life. And if our lives are Spirit-led, we should look radically different from the rest of the world. 
<clears throat> we should love people in a way that we didn't love people before. We should have intense levels of joy, peace, and patience. We should be kind when other people aren't. There should be much good in us. We should be faithful in following Jesus. We should operate with a gentleness that is unexplainable, and we should have self-control to fight sin and, and temptation. So that's biblical love. And next week, we'll talk about biblical joy. And uh, I just want to pray that... I just want to pray that we're able to focus for the next nine weeks, and I pray that I'm not as nervous as I am today, and I pray that uh, we all become comfortable with each other, and we all get to know each other, and I pray that you're all forgiving, that I'm going to forget all of y'all's names a hundred different times, and I just hope you have patience, because that's fruit of the Spirit, so be patient with me, because <laughs> uh, you're going to need it, and I'm going to need it, and we're all going to need it, but I just, I was really, I told Dave before, before I got up here today that I was grateful for his message last couple weeks ago where he he kind of gave a charge like, hey, if, if we're in this building, you know, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. It's it's not just him getting up there. We got to all aggregate and, and work together. And I really appreciated him saying that. So let me pray for us again. Father, we come to you today uh, grateful for laughter. It's It's the greatest medicine you gave, I think. And I just pray that for the next couple of weeks, we're able to, to focus on the fruit of the Spirit and that we understand the biblical way that you want us to live with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We all need these things and your word says that you give these things to us and we're grateful for that. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. And I need to do an invitation, and I should have done that. If Heather and I are going to join the church today also, I think Dale's going to be the man to do that. So uh, if anybody else has any questions about salvation or membership or any of these things or more questions about what we covered today, just come down front.